Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for FootballOutsiders.com. To kick things off, let me remind you that Football Outsiders is live Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can catch us on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, or Facebook. But if you join us on YouTube, you can ask us questions, which should come in handy today because we are doing the waiver wire discussion for week eight with our buddy Derek Klassen, scouting expert for Football Outsiders. Derek, what's going on, man? Great to have you back. Yeah, I mean, another week. Uh, I mean, this not only do we not have as many waiver wire options as we normally do, but that <laughs> last week of football was just disgusting. I, I think I saw a stat somewhere. I think it was uh, Lee Sharp NFL on Twitter mm-hmm. um, that that was like the second highest average margin of victory for NF- for an NFL slate. Um, and the other one was in like 2008 or something insane. Like it, it was literally the worst weekend of football in a decade. <laughs> I mean, if you weren't watching the Dolphins and Falcons, I don't even know what you were doing with yourself on Sunday. That was the only one to <laughs> until, I, I guess, Monday night. But Yeah, I mean, I can definitely say that I wasn't super enthused about watching the, the Carolina Panthers, my favorite team, just get smoked <laughs> by the backups for the Giants. And things not going great there, I would say, right now. I'm definitely concerned about the potential trade for Deshaun Watson. Concerned head coach Matt Rule is going to drive Joe Brady back to LSU. Uh but hey, ESPN voted us the fastest team according to the next-gen stats, so hang that banner, right? Exactly. I mean, even if you're not going to the right spot, at least you're getting there quickly. <laughs> well, we do have at least some fantasy guys to talk about on the waiver wire, so luckily we can bury ourselves in some fantasy discussion. And then later on in the show, I think in honor of one of the quarterbacks we'll be discussing, we'll get you to hit on sort of an update on the rookie quarterbacks and how you think they're performing so far, which I think could tie in, especially in deeper leagues, to, to the waiver wire, maybe more dynasty leagues than anything else, but... That'll help us kind of make up for the fact that there just aren't a lot of players available, mostly because, what, six teams were on by last week. We're just kind of in that point of the season. Uh, Let's start with a player that actually surprisingly is still on some waiver wires and one that if he is, you need to jump all over this week, Khalil Herbert, available in about a third of both ESPN and Yahoo leagues. I'm recommending a 41% waiver bid, but I mean, go to 100% if you think that your league is like still paying attention and then for whatever reason he fell through the cracks. He was great his first two games uh, playing in relief of David Montgomery. Then last week, I was incredibly impressed. 18 carries, 100 yards, five catches for 33 yards on five targets. Did that against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of the better run defenses in the league. And so, Derek, at this point, it's not just about whether you think Herbert's going to be a useful fantasy option. I think at this point, we're probably assuming David Montgomery will return from his sprained MCL maybe after the team's bye in a couple of weeks. So at least one more good week of fantasy production here. But I'm wondering if, like, after Montgomery is back, could Herbert start to be, like, more involved? Could the team maybe trade Montgomery? Like, is Herbert that good? Uh, I don't think he's good enough to where they should trade Montgomery or anything. But I do think that um, at this point he's probably played well enough that if they have a second back that they're going to consistently mm-hmm. give carries to to keep the load off of Montgomery, especially like when he first comes back, they probably don't want to yeah. like hyper rush him in and, and get him injured again. Um, I think Herbert has probably pretty solidly earned his spot. And that's not even really a knock on Damian Williams. I think Damian Williams, um, if anything, they could maybe get something for him, even though, you know, it wouldn't be a particularly high pick. Um, he's probably their most expendable, you know, good back at this point. Um, but I mean, Herbert's just fantastic. I think to your point, I think I would say that I think this last week in particular, I think they leaned on him more than Williams in part because if you're going to run on this Tampa defense, yeah, you probably have to be a guy who is going to be able to generate, a, you know, pretty good yards after contact. You're going to have to, you know, see between the tackles a little bit more. And we talked about that last time with Khalil Herbert, that 
he has pretty good vision. Um, and mm-hmm. I think he does a really good job to just get his foot in the ground and drive. Um, and so that stuff, I think, is why he was probably the best back specifically for that game. Um, but I think kind of to your point, he's, he's played so well that I think he's clearly better than Williams at this point. But I, I think when they get Montgomery back, they're, they're going to be very happy that he's back and still continue to give him the majority of the workload. I mean, you know, I love Damian Williams. I think uh, earlier in the year when it was less clear that this six round rookie was going to be so heavily involved, I was saying how, you know, Williams two years ago before he opted out of 2020, he was top 10 in both avoided tackle rate and yards after contact per attempt. And it's a pretty versatile back. But uh, I mean, it really seems like Herbert is taking the lead here. He played 77% of offensive snaps versus 17% for Williams on Sunday. 4.8 yards per carry overall as top 10 among running backs with 50 or more carries. What's interesting, I think, is the the kind of advanced metrics. And I know that we're slicing up an already small pie for a guy that's really only played two and a half games so far. But he isn't a leader in either avoided tackle rate or yards after contact per attempt. His standout efficiency is his 3.1 yards before contact per attempt, which is the fifth highest among running backs with 25 or more carries. And I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. I, I mean, I think I've settled on the fact that that's kind of showing off his vision and instincts because it's not like he's super fast. He ran a 4-4-6 40 time in his pro day. Um, I don't know. Like, And it's not like he's getting the, the carry skewed towards third downs and other like easy opportunities. Like That's where I think Chase Edmonds, Kenneth Gainwell, and Tony Pollard, that's how they're kind of popping up to the top of that list. But I'm curious if you're reading anything into that or if it's maybe just a total relic of small sample size. I think it's partly small sample size. I think it's partly, like we've said, like his vision, like he's not running himself into contact very much, I think, before Mm -hmm. at the line of scrimmage, stuff like that. Um, I also think, too, like the Bears offensive line is a lot better run blocking than they are at pass blocking. They're a horrific pass blocking unit. (laughs) Jason Peters can't get into a set. They're on like their fourth right tackle, who is horrendous. Mm -hmm. Um, The center doesn't know what he's doing in pass pro. But their guards are really good run blockers. Peters still has some juice in the run game. Um, so like they, they run block a lot better than their, their pass pro suggests. So I think it's kind of a little mix of all those things, but I still think generally, um, you know, Herbert's Herbert's still pretty, pretty dang good. I think. So that truth is definitely showing up in the metrics on football outsiders, by the way, 12.4% adjusted sack rate is dead last 4.45 adjusted line yards. The run blocking metric is 11th best. Uh, it's kind of weird, but I mean, it's encouraging for Herbert's value, assuming that he ends up remaining involved when David Montgomery comes back. But kind of like you're saying, I guess it kind of waits to be seen. Maybe Montgomery will reassert himself. I've always said, too, that I think he's much better than his sort of basic yards per carry and other type of metrics always suggest because he's really good at avoiding tackles as well. Um, One of our our guys I love planking on the YouTube chat mentioned that Herbert is bad in pass protection. I honestly haven't probably studied it enough to see it either way. Is that an impression that you've gotten so far, uh, Derek, or do do you know either way? I think that's true. I think that's also why they try to get him more active, like splitting out on routes than they do, mm-hmm. like just leaving him in. Whereas I think Montgomery is a little bit, he's a little bit better if you just leave him in and pass pro. Um, and I think having Herbert in the game, like when you have a guy who can't pass protect, you're either going to be in five man pro all the time, which sucks when your tackles both can't pass protect. Or if you're going to go to six man protection, you have to leave a tight end in, which like, yeah that can give you fewer answers than having a running back who can like see blitzers coming in. You know what I mean? Like, so it, mm-hmm. it's just a little bit different in that sense. Okay. That's good. I mean, it, it all probably adds up to Herbert, maybe a little bit more valuable from a long-term keeper dynasty league perspective than he might be for the rest of the season this year. But mm-hmm. I would definitely be in, you know happy to have him for at least next week while Montgomery continues to be out. So I think that's, that's a relevant concern for people that he's still available on the wire. 
Uh, we have another question coming in on the chat asking about trades. Um, we're actually going to hold all of those to the end of the show, do a little Q&A session at the end. So please stick with us and we'll get there. But continuing along with the uh, the waiver wire options, number two, Michael Carter running back for the Jets. I'm suggesting an 11% fab bid here. His workload definitely expanded here um, in week seven, which part of me says isn't surprising. I mean, he's a rookie running back. He's kind of had a slow climb in a snap count. Not that surprising to see after a bye week, the workload jumped up. But also you're running into a couple of other potential reasons with Tevin Coleman being inactive, I think just for one week. Ty Johnson had to lead this game with a possible concussion. So maybe it's more coincidence that he had a, you know, a season high 72% snap share, but I'd love to get your thoughts on seeing a little bit more of Carter here. Do you think that he's kind of evolving into a player that could break out in the second half? Something we've seen with a lot of running backs in recent seasons in the rookie year. I mean, I do think he is their best back probably by far. I, I at least think he's the guy who offers them the most things. Like I think Tevin Coleman is really like, he just wants to get north and south and just kind of outspeed you. Yeah. Um, Ty Johnson is a little bit the same way to me where like they, they don't really offer a lot. They're just guys who want to get into space and be faster than you. Whereas I think Michael Carter kind of offers a lot of different things. I think his vision is a lot better. Um, even though he's not like the biggest back, I think he's a, a little bit more comfortable navigating between the tackles, that sort of thing, bouncing guys off. He has really fantastic balance for a guy his size, which I think is, is really impressive. Um, so I think he's really good. The problem is just like that Jets offensive line. Yeah. is really bad and it's probably going to be worse now that they don't even have zach wilson back there not that not that zach wilson was like playing particularly well but he at least probably threatened passing defenses more than mike white did and probably more than joe flacco is going to um so i think the fact that they're going to have so much change up on offense um on an offense is already not very good i think it's kind of just a tough situation for him maybe he can give you some stuff just like by sheer volume um but I, I don't know. I think even when they get guys healthy, um, even though he's their best back, they probably still want to rotate a little bit enough to where like, you know, you're not yeah. going to purely get value out of him just for for volume. I think that's true. But to me, the versatility that he offers is, is the reason that I'm even recommending him fantasy from the first place. Without Wilson, with potentially your guy Joe Flacco back there, it could be really bad. They're going to be trailing by two and three touchdowns in a lot of these games. So, I mean, the only way that a Jets running back is going to provide value is if he's doing it as a pass catcher, specifically probably in PPR formats. Right. But that's a thing with like Carter coming out of college. That was sort of the, the major point in his favor from a scouting perspective. He was a little bit more versatile as a pass catcher than a lot of the other, you know, the earlier round backs, I would say. I think he was, what, a fourth round draft pick. Uh, but this game, this was the first time all season he's gone for more than three catches and he had, what, eight or nine? I mean, so it's like a huge jump up in workload there. And obviously game script, I think, had a lot to do with that. But that's going to continue. This was kind of what I'm saying. And if he's now doing that more in the league, I think that's that's where he could potentially provide you value where like it may be tough for him to get over 12 carries any week if he's in a rotation, if the Jets are trailing. But if he can get you to 16 touches and half of those are catches, I think that could be the, the key to his value. And you could see that happening, right? I think you've actually kind of convinced me, at least in PPR formats, where yes. um, he's going to get a ton of these catches, especially like Joe Flacco doesn't really push the ball down the field the way that I think he used to when he was a lot younger. He's a little bit more conservative now. So if he ends up starting, um, that could be it. Even Mike White, I think he's going to kind of do the same things. Um, and to your point, he's just really good at it. Like I know um, I want to say that Nate Tice out of the draft called him like a baby Camara, which like mm -hmm. I think is like a pretty apt comparison. Like they do a lot of the same things. Obviously, Kamara is like top five talent at the position and Carter is not quite that yet. But 
you, you kind of see them used in, in a lot of the same ways. And could, I mean, we saw Kamara caught what, like 10 or 11 passes <laughs> last night, it felt like. So, I mean, yeah. maybe that's extreme. He was the whole Saints offense. That yeah. By the way, Jameis Winston ran him aside. Jameis Winston has like 12 touchdowns and one pick or something stupid this year. I was like, oh, wait, maybe, he's, maybe he's good now. I, don't, I honestly haven't watched like any Saints if I could help it. The thing with Kamara that I think always tricks people is because he's a receiving back, you're like, oh, he's probably on the smaller side. No, he's like legit 220 pounds and that's the thing with carter where i'm like can he be this year's cam Akers or jk dobbins i don't know he's closer to 200 pounds but the trick of it is that he's what five foot nine so it's like it's kind of a compact build where Mm -hmm. he may be bigger than you would just get the sense based on his weight total for instance like from a bmi perspective but do you think he's still too small to like end up being that type of top 10 upside as guys like Akers, or do you think that's a possibility too Long long term when the Jets are better, maybe. Uh maybe long term. Yeah. I just I have a hard time seeing it this year. I think like mm. I think those guys last year were just in just better situations flatly. Yeah. Like I think that's really all it came down to. And once they got their feet under them, um, they were just on better teams that were able to produce. And that like this Jets team, even if Carter does get comfortable and he he does get a little bit better, like this Jets team just they're just bad. <laughs> like I don't really know <laughs> what else to say. I think that sums it up. But don't worry, Derek. I've got more late-round running backs to throw at you in this waiver wire. Uh, Let's head over to Kenneth Gainwell, running back for the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm suggesting a 10% fab bid here. That may be a little bit on the low side if, like, in a lot of these leagues, you know, Khalil Herbert may already be rostered. Michael Carter may already be rostered. They're over 50% rostered. Um, Gainwell is rostered, you know, in in less than 30% of leagues. And he may have a big opportunity here with Miles Sanders suffering an ankle injury that they're saying is going to have him out for maybe just two or three weeks, but he got carted to the locker room. So like that seems a little bit optimistic, I would say. So then you're trying to parse what's going on with the Eagles backfield. And I'm guessing Gainwell is probably going to be more the guy he's small, but Boston Scott's really small too. Gainwell has been a lot more involved this year. And to me, like the fact that he's adding so much as a pass catcher, he's top 12 among running backs in, in, target share already, even as sort of a backup receiving option. So I'm thinking he's maybe the guy, but what are your thoughts here on Gainwell and the broader Eagles backfield with Sanders out? I kind of like Gainwell here. And, and I think the reason is that like, so like when injuries happen, you're usually trying to project the guys on the depth chart behind them. Like, okay, what is their role mm-hmm. going to be? Well, we yeah. already know Gainwell has a pretty big role in the offense as a pass catcher. So like, if we just assume he's going to at least keep that role and, and maybe expand it a little bit, depending on what they want to do with the offense, And then he's going to get a few more of the carries, even if they still don't run the ball a lot or very well. It's still something, and it adds on to the value that he already kind of had. So I like Gainwell here. I think it's it's pretty easy to see how this how things can get um, better for him without there really any. There's really not any potential for him to like be worse than he is at this point. I think. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Eagles' offense because I found this stat pretty hilarious. Here are the few the fewest running back carries per game, or basically non-quarterback carries per game by team. Eagles, 14.0. Dolphins, 16.7. Giants, 18.0. Jets, 18.8. Everyone else over 19. Most teams over 20. It's like, we joke about how they basically use a running a screen game and use Jalen Hurts running as, as their running game, but like it's extremely true. They are an outlier for free rushing attempts. And to me, that's why Boston Scott, you know, I could really just kind of leave him on the wire right now. He played, ended up playing 33% of snaps last week. Uh, Sanders got hurt pretty early. Um, so he was like, you know, he was involved. Um, I think Gainwell was just a little bit over 50%. But to me, if Scott's not going to be catching passes the way Gainwell is, there's just no point. 
So I, I'm sort of trending with you where it's like Gainwell, he's not going to be DeAndre Swift over here, but maybe he's going to be a slightly better version of JD McKissick, like drawing the comparison within the division. Those mm -hmm. two have had very similar totals of, of both carries and targets so far this season. Without Sanders ahead of him, you figure it goes up a little bit. And suddenly, I think in PPR formats, maybe he has a little bit of value. Is, is that kind of where you would land with this as a comparison? Or do you think I'm being a little bit too pessimistic there? Uh, I mean, I think Gainwell is just slightly a better player than McKissick, but I think okay. the role kind of makes sense. Um, I would also say too, like, yeah, I don't think Boston Scott is that big of a threat to him because sometimes when you have these injuries to the main guy, you have a guy who behind them is like a bitter, a bigger body and can like be a bell cow and they'll just jam him ahead for three and a half yards. But like, that's not really what Boston Scott is going to do. Like, he's not going to threaten Gainwell that way. So it's yeah. like Gainwell is just kind of just a better version of what Scott provides. So um, I, I don't think he's in any threat in that sense. So, so what you're telling me is that like Jordan Howard's going to be leading this team in carries in a week. <sighs> Look, they, they, I don't know what they've been doing with their backfield the entire year. So it's entirely possible that they do something insane like that and just randomly are like, we're going to carry the ball 25 times today. <laughs> well, I mean, speak, speaking of your guy, Joe Flacco, it's just I'm peppering him in throughout the show. The fact that they finally traded him away, I'm still waiting for maybe, you know, Gardner Minshew to, to start a couple of games here for Hertz later in the season. And maybe they'll get a little bit more traditional with the mm -hmm. run pass splits and stuff. But I don't think that's probably not something you need to worry about in the short term with guys like Gainwell's fantasy values. So yeah, I mean, pick him up, particularly in PPR leagues, where I'll mention again, he's already top 12 among running backs with his target share. So he had value there and it can only get better from, from there. All right, I'll take this moment to mention again that we're live 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday. Uh, you can ask us questions live on YouTube, but also watch us live on Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. Had a couple more questions come in, some trade type stuff. We're going to hold that to the end for QA. But let us keep going here with some of the waiver options. Derek, I've kind of brought this one up a few times. Jerry Judy, wide receiver for the Broncos. I've bumped up his recommended fab bid here to 6% because it looks like he's going to play in week eight. He hasn't played again since week one, but in week one, looked like an extremely featured target, seeing a target on 0.23 uh, uh, per snap. Last year, Deontay Johnson led wide receivers with 0.21, so that's higher than that. Small sample size, blah, blah, blah. We get it. You've already kind of expressed a lot of thoughts about Judy in previous shows, but I wanted to circle back, not just because of his proximity, but because you've had time to see, you know, Cortland Sutton playing the number one role in this offense. See Tim Patrick, a player that I think, at least by advanced analytical standards, is a lot better than you would expect given his typical role as a number three receiver. Do you think Judy's just going to come back and be the the absolute number one guy here? Or do you think this may be a bit more of a 1A, 1B situation with Sutton? What are your thoughts on the Broncos offense overall? I think it's more of a 1A, 1B situation. I think Sutton is, they're both fantastic players and like could be a number one on any team. And I think you even, you know, we've seen that with Judy in, in spurts before, but like Sutton, I think to me just has kind of the more like natural body to be your number one. Um, he's a little bit more of like a true X receiver or can be so. I think it's probably closer to a 1A, 1B, and Sutton would probably be the A, in my opinion. But I still think they're both going to get a lot of um, targets in this offense. I mean, I think they want to throw the ball. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be fine in that sense. I don't think, like, Sutton is going to completely hoard all of the, the targets away from Judy. Um, and to your point, I think Tim Patrick is very good, but he's also just not Jerry G. Like, they're just different players. Not It's yeah. not even, like, a quality thing. Like, they're just entirely different players. Tim Patrick is more of, like, your – you know, he can kind of get vertical and be a 50-50 guy, whereas Judy, I think, is a lot better um, getting into space, working across the field, those sorts of things. So the bigger issue to me would really just be, like, can the the Broncos passing offense 
like structurally get it together because like their their offensive line has looked horrible. I think they still do a really good job of like picking things up in pass protection. They just don't have the talent. Like Garrett Bowles doesn't look as good. Yeah. The guards don't look as good as they I think they did early on. So like they just had problems with like the one on one talent perspective from pass blocking. And Teddy Bridgewater has been injured and not very good the past few weeks. And so I think that's really a problem. So. I thought he just looked like physically hobbled. Yeah, like he just doesn't have it right now. And so like maybe if if Teddy can get healthy in, in a couple weeks, he can get back to 100%, then like maybe this passing offense gets good again and Judy can be really valuable. But that would really be my concern more than like who's supposed to get the targets. I think it's more just like, is the ball even going to get there? Well, I mean, the good news is the Broncos defense is banged up and bad right now too. So they may not have a choice but to throw the ball, even if they would prefer to you know roll with Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams a bit more than they've been able to so far. Um, I posed a thought in the article version of the waiver wire, which is up on footballoutsiders.com. Like is like Judy and Kadarius, Tony seem like the two wide receivers that maybe have the most upside that might be available. There's a lot of guys like Emmanuel Sanders is back on the wire. We'll talk about Jarvis Landry shortly. There's a lot of lower ceiling guys that could help your team, especially in the bye weeks but maybe I don't see the upside, but like, how would you compare Judy and Kadarius, Tony as maybe targets to maybe be wide receiver two type production, like for the fantasy playoffs, a bit of a future type lottery pick. Do you have a pecking order there? Um, That's actually kind of tough. I, I would say probably Judy is my favorite just because I think he's like the best raw talent. Um, Tony is tough because he's looked good, but also like, we don't know what the room is going to look like when everybody gets healthy. Um, if everybody gets healthy, I guess. So that's yeah. kind of the concern with me. Um, I actually really like Emmanuel Sanders. I kind of think his upside is could be nice just because I think he's actually, he's done a lot of vertical stuff in that offense. And I think yeah. um, if we assume that maybe Josh Allen can, can really iron things out over the second half of the season, not that he's been bad, but like he, he isn't quite 2020 form. Um, I think if he could iron things out a little bit, like that could really be huge for Sanders. Um, Jarvis Landry, I think, is definitely a lower ceiling option. No. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll talk about him in yeah. a second. Um, last word on the matter is I love planking ass. How does Judy's return affect Cortland Sutton? Like my sense is that Tim Patrick is going to be the big loser here from a fantasy perspective. But do you feel any differently about that? No, I, I think that's spot on. Like okay. Tim Patrick probably loses, and and again, not because he's like a, a bad or significantly worse player. He's just I think a little bit more pigeonholed into where he wins. Whereas like Sutton and Judy can both win in so many different ways and they can do so many different things, um, both inside and out um, vertical and underneath that just like, I think Patrick is probably the loser here. Whereas I think yeah. we were saying Sutton and Judy are kind of a one, a one B. All right. Next up on the waiver list, we have CJ Uzoma tied in for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's actually pulled up to the lead among tight ends with five touchdowns. He's tied with Dawson Knox in that respect and Knox, well, he broke his hand, right? He's going to miss several weeks. So, I mean, Uzoma, for all we know, in a week or two, could be leading the position in touchdowns, something that I wouldn't have thought. That said, you may be surprised to hear me recommending a 3% fab bid, a bid that is definitely too low to, to win him in the waiver wire, I would say. The reason I'm saying that is statistically, his touchdowns just aren't supported by the types of targets he's getting. He has 0.8 expected touchdowns, giving him a 4.2 touchdown surplus, nearly double uh, everyone else at the position, Knox and Hunter Henry are tied at second at 2.3. His touchdowns have come from two yards away from the end zone, but then 22, 31, 32, and 55 yards away from the end zone. Not exactly what you're expecting out of a touchdown heavy tight end, but Derek, I want to have you one because I want to ask you like, am I 
paying too much attention to what's happened so far? Is it possible that Uzoma is bringing more to the, the team from a talent perspective, things that I'm not seeing here? Like, do you think he could be more valuable than I'm suggesting? Not really. Like, okay. and I watched this game um, this morning, like literally like yeah. an hour before the show. And like, the thing is like, so much of his production, like you were saying, is like you're just betting on him to like hit, get hit on a shot play, which like that's fine. But one, the Bengals don't even really do that very much. Um, like they don't really do a lot of the play action shot plays the way that we think of, um, you know, typical McVay systems or whatever. Like they just don't do that very much because honestly, that's just not how Joe Burrow wins. Joe Burrow is, is a lot better like being a drop back guy where he can see everything. And if he goes vertical, he wants to do it on the sideline, which typically is not where your tight end is going to be aligned. It's going to be where it's probably Chase more the Jamar Chase situation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so like, and like, even if you watch the game, like they did do the one shot play to Azoma that I think was the 52 yarder or whatever. Mm. Um, and he kind of broke free on, on uh, Marlon Humphrey. Um, he pushed off on him, like whatever. It was a really good play call, but like they don't do that very much. Um, and you're betting on them hitting that on a thing that they just don't do very often. And then the other one, he kind of was working up the seam and like four or five Ravens defenders just like pinned down on a flat route and just let him like completely run free. It was like a busted coverage. So yeah. like, that's kind of the things that you're betting on with Uzoma um, in this offense, because I think if you just watch a lot of their typical dropback stuff, like they don't really get him going um, very much. And like Joe Burrow, I just think is not very interested throwing over the middle of the field that way. Um, I think he's a lot more interested trusting his guys on the sidelines. So if you want to bet on these explosive plays that the Bengals have somehow been generating, um, <laughs> I mean, be my guest, but I think I'm with you in that. Like This is just, wholly unsustainable and he's probably not going to I would not bet on him to score that much for the rest of the season I don't think yeah I think you can get tricked by the raw touchdown total right now and you can also get tricked by the snap share because he's played 70% or more of offensive snaps every week including 83% last week he's on the field a lot it's just that he's not getting targeted like ever 9.2% blocking a lot this yeah. last week yeah, I wish I don't have easy access to like route run data, which is a shame because that would really help kind of unpackage this. But you can see this in the 9.2% target share is the 34th highest among tight ends. Like that's just not fantasy worthy. It's fantasy worthy from a given week's perspective because he scored two touchdowns twice, but <laughs> they've all been pretty crazy. So I, I just I don't think Uzoma is a major part of the passing offense, not from a target perspective, maybe from a blocking perspective. So I would say. If you have him, trade him. If you can pick him up and trade him, okay. But don't spend a lot of fab to grab this guy. I think as, as bad as the tight end situation is right now, they're probably better options on the wire. Frankly, I would rather just like roll with Ricky Seals-Jones for a week and then try to figure it out again later. Um, but I, I just don't think he's going to be the answer for you from a fantasy perspective, I hate to say. All right, the guy that we've been teasing. I know, Derek, you're eager to talk about Jarvis Landry, wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns, recommending a modest 3% fab bid here. He had the most Jarvis Landry game of all time last week. Five catches for 37 yards, no scores, eight targets, led the team by two. Uh, Odell Beckham, by the way, had an Odell Beckham type game, two catches on six targets, you know, like left the field hurt a couple times too. Uh, so I guess, I don't know. Talk about the Browns offense more generally. I feel like we probably know who Jarvis Landry is at this point. And he's like only valuable from a PPR league perspective and really probably only as a flex option in bye weeks but has the offense changed such that maybe that value would change? Like if Beckham wasn't potentially in the fold, I don't know, like unpack all of the situation for me. I think even if Beckham's not there, like that doesn't really change anything for me because like, what does Landry provide that, 
Beckham did. Like, I don't, I just don't think he fits into any of those. Like, there's that, no overlap. That, yeah. Yeah. There's really no overlap in what they do. So, um, and I think like generally, I just don't think Landry can get a ton more targets in this offense just because like his role is generally like over the short to intermediate, like kind of middle mm-hmm. of the field. He's his own beater, that sort of thing. He has really good hands, yada, yada, yada. But like, they play really well with a lot of tight ends on the field. They throw to their running backs a lot. Like they have all these other ways to generate that same yardage that they don't necessarily need to lean on him any more than they do in that area. Maybe they try to get him going a little bit more um, as like a back shoulder, you know, vertical guy, which they've done at points in the past and like he can do, but I just, it's really hard to see like what the upside is, especially with a lot of the uncertainty they just have at quarterback right now. Like Case Keenum mm-hmm. is fine for a backup, but they probably don't want to throw very much with him. Um, and then if Baker comes back, like we aren't entirely sure when he's going to come back and we're not sure if he's going to be healthy. So like, it's just, it's just kind of a tough situation, I think. Yeah. I mean, Joey sucks on the, on the, fa- uh, on the YouTube chat is asking about what your thoughts are on Keenum, not specifically for his own fantasy value, which he doesn't have any, um, but like, does it change the equation with any of his receivers? My thought would be no, because like, it's not like Mayfield was an aggressive thrower. Like he's playing the conservative game that I think makes sense for their offensive talent. To me, Keenum may produce more turnover-worthy plays, but that's not something that's going to really hurt his his you know skill players from a fantasy perspective. But do you see things differently there? Not really. I think they're actually really similar players. Obviously, like a healthy Baker is um, a better version of that. But like, I don't think that they're significantly different, that mm-hmm. this is going to change a whole lot for me. And I don't think that um, Stefanski even wants to like change the offense or anything. Because, you know, sometimes you see yeah. a backup come in. Um, I think we've even seen it a little bit in Seattle. Like they change what the offense wants mm-hmm. to do because the backup is in. I-, I just don't think Cleveland really has to do that or wants to do that. Except for maybe just run the ball a little bit more. I was say, frankly, Keenum, I think probably had a better fantasy season than Baker's had, at least since his rookie year, when he played that year for Stefanski in Minnesota. Right. Like random, amazing year. So, like, I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure the the difference between them is that significant. I definitely wouldn't call the difference between them thirty million guaranteed per year. Just throw that out to you to Browns stew on that for a little bit. Um, so, Jarvis, he's averaged thirteen point six PPR points per game since last start of last year excluding the week two this year when he got hurt and didn't couldn't play very much. That's 33rd among wide receivers. So you're like, okay, yeah, like, again, a flex-worthy type of name in a PPR format, especially during the bye weeks. But you're, when you're talking about, like, what his ceiling could be in this offense, it may be even lower than that, though, because, like, he's typically played between 70 and 79% of offensive snaps, just to 54% this last week. And while you're saying that, hey, like, he's coming back from injury, he's probably getting a slow start here – you know, they're a little bit more talented around him than they've been before. Maybe not when everyone's injured right now, but Beckham is back, played 61% of snaps. You have Anthony Schwartz, the rookie, played 41%. Donovan Peoples-Jones has had some good games, but actually didn't play this last week. Late scratch. I'm not really sure what happened there. Um, yeah, I don't know what that was. But regardless, we assume he's going to be back and probably contributing. He's a lot more physically talented than everyone but Beckham, I guess, on the team. So it's just like mm-hmm. Jarvis may settle into this like 50% snap share, and it may even be – a stretch to call him the 33rd best fantasy receiver in PPR formats. So to me, this isn't really a guy you're chasing for upside. This may be a player where you're like, uh, I'm in a bad spot in a buy. I want to make sure I don't get a zero here from a wide receiver. You're not going to get a zero from Landry in a PPR format, uh, but you're also not going to get more than like 15 points for sure. All right, let's move on to a player that I think does have upside, although I'm suggesting with a 2% fab bid that that upside might be in the longer term. It's Van Jefferson, second-year wide receiver for the L.A. Rams. Had another touchdown on Sunday. It's his third of the season, but 
you know, the 13.7% target share doesn't point to a big role in the offense at this point. That's not in the top 70 among wide receivers. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on Jefferson from a talent perspective, the player perspective, especially since, in my mind, Robert Woods is maybe a cut candidate this offseason, given that they could save quite a bit of millions of dollars if they decided to, and the Rams are way up against the cap next year. What are your thoughts on Jefferson? Uh, well, I hope they don't cut Robert Woods just because I love him and I love him in that offense. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Van Jefferson is like, he's fine, but I'm kind of with you in that, like, I, I don't know if this year is the year that he's really mm-hmm. going to do it. And that's not necessarily because he's bad. Like, I think he's a pretty clean route runner. Um, he's shown flashes of being able to get vertical. I think his hands are pretty good, but, um, he's been a little bit up and down. There's, there's games where he just kind of disappears, um, for yeah. stretches, but I think another thing that I would say is like the Rams offense is such that like any guy can, there can be a game for any, any person. Mm -hmm. Like you could have the Tyler Higby game. You could have the Robert Woods game, the Cooper cup game. And I know like Nate Tice has kind of talked about this, like with the Cowboys, they kind of have a similar vibe going there and it can be hard to like figure out which of these, you know, tertiary options is supposed to emerge and just like, I think it's going to be tough. You might have weeks where Jefferson has like a hundred yard game and a touchdown, but I don't think that that's something yeah. that you can consistently rely on. Um, so I, I would probably be 2% is kind of like a whatever. So I, I wouldn't hate it, but mm-hmm. I don't know if he's really going to be too effective uh, in the, in, in for the rest of the season it, in terms of fantasy, at least. Well, I mean, it's good perspective because there's a roster crunch. I mean, when you're in the bye weeks and you have some of your star players on the bench and you need to pick up guys to start, like that's when this becomes really important. There may not be room for your, for your lineup for even for your bench for just uh, for Van Jefferson. Uh, and to me, like what you were saying about how it's not really reliable, three touchdowns, but only 1.8 expected touchdowns. Not shocking that a player on the Rams would exceed that number. I mean, Stafford is playing really great. It's a great scheme. Some of these guys are probably going to run in these longer touchdowns. Uh, he made a great leaping touchdown catch in this game that I thought really showed off some skills that I wasn't sure that he had. Uh, but it's it's hard to trust with the volume. It's interesting here. He had a 94% snap share, which is highest of the season. But he had an, a rogue 92% snap game in week two and has been between about 55 and 70% in all of his other games. And to me, I'm wondering whether it's, is that just like a weird, like a game, not even game script, maybe just a game plan issue where they decided to rely on him because of the weaknesses of the Lions on the outside at corner or whatever. I don't know. Like to me, again, I'm, I'm intrigued over the long term, but to me, this one good game and the fact that he has three touchdowns this season, that's not really having me race to the wire to pick him up thinking that he's going to be a second half breakout or anything like that. I think it's partly game plan. Um, and I think like, uh, especially this last week, um, they didn't have, the Rams didn't have uh tight end Johnny uh, Munt, which like, hmm. he's not particularly great, but when they want to go to 12 personnel stuff, he's the other guy they bring on the field. And when you just don't have your guy that can do that, well, then you're just not going to get into 12 personnel and yeah. you're going to have three receivers on the field. Jefferson is going to be that guy. So that's, I think, why he gets, um, why he got as many snaps as he did this last week. Makes sense. All right. Again, thanks for all the questions we're getting on YouTube. We're going to do a Q&A at the end, hit on all of these trade questions and everything else going on. But we've got a couple more waiver wire guys to hit. And then I want to give you a little bit of time to talk about the rookie quarterbacks, Derek. Let's pivot back to tight end. We've got Pat Fryermuth, rookie tight end for the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're down in the 1% fab bid range here. Like we're taking shots. But to me, Fryermuth is, is worth a little bit of a shot because Juju Smith-Schuster is out for the year with a shoulder injury, and the Steelers have played one game without him, and Fryermuth had a 60% snap share was a season high. Seven targets was a season high by two. 
So like why you would say, you know, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, the main guys are probably going to be the biggest beneficiaries among anybody that could step up and become fantasy relevant on the team. I think I like him more than I would like James Washington, for instance, certainly Eric Ebron. He's out targeted Ebron on the season already. Um, and he's again, a rookie, but what are your thoughts on Fryermuth? I don't think we're looking at Kyle Pitts, but could this be one of the unusual rookie tight ends with a little bit of fantasy value? Yeah, I think he's not going to, you know, randomly win you your league anything, but I think he could be like a startable, functional uh, fantasy tight end because it's kind of the opposite of what we were talking about with Jarvis Landry, where like there is overlap between the guy that is injured now. Like Juju Smith-Schuster was a lot of the underneath stuff that they did. He was a lot of their blocking stuff that they did um, over the middle of the field. And like, obviously, when he's now out, Pat Fryermuth, who's a tight end, is, is going to be able to step up in some of those situations. And so... Whether or not the Steelers offense actually wants to throw over the middle that that much, um, especially vertically, I don't know. But I do think he still provides that safety blanket in like the, the underneath-ish area. Um, and it's going to be a decent target, I think, in the red zone. Um, I think especially as he gets comfortable. Because like to your point, like rookie tight ends, it usually takes them a while, more than a year. But I think at least, you know, now that he has a couple months under him, it should be a little bit more comfortable for him. So I kind of like Fryermuth. Again, it's not going to be anything crazy, but I kind of like his chances to be functional at least i like it it cracks me up because kyle pitts he's like we're comparing him to like calvin johnson or like this is one of the all-time yeah. freaks of the game yeah and all of the Steelers <laughs> are like guys like this this is heath miller heath <laughs> miller is back and i'm like uh i mean great was heath miller ever a tight end one in fantasy probably not but probably i mean it, it, at least he was reliable and getting some targets the bar is just so low at tight end right now that like if you missed out on the dalton schultz and mike gesicki's of the world there's there's nothing out there for you, man. Uh, so, but like to me, Fryermuth, like honestly, I would rather have him than than CJ Uzoma. So, like, I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. what you're looking at right here. He's going to get more targets than him, I think for sure. Uh, could even score some touchdowns too. So, to me, he's got a little bit of fantasy value. Uh, although, again, I wouldn't get carried away. Keep that Heath Miller comp in mind when you're making your waiver bids. Uh, all right, one more waiver guy to hit, and this is, I think, going to be a bridge into the rookie quarterback discussion because I put Trey Lance back here, one percent fab bid. I've been touting him for as a much higher bid than that. Not saying that he's necessarily the best real life player at this point in his career. Still looks very young, looks very raw, but 41.4% carry share in weeks four and five. That would be the highest among any quarterback this year. Jalen Hurts is at 40.6, Jackson 35.8. And then Josh Allen is down at 24.3%. So like this is an outlier of a running quarterback, at least so far in a start and a half. And that just matters so much in fantasy. You know, it's just like you get like, basically two to three times as many fantasy points for a rushing yard as you do for a passing yard. So it's just, if he's playing and that's kind of the deal, it's, it's like a really valuable situation. The question is, is he going to play? I mean, Garoppolo by DVOA standards, isn't really that much worse than he's ever been. 7.4% passing DVOA so far this season. Uh, That was entering week seven, but I'm not going to kill the guy for playing terrible in a rainstorm. Uh, 10.8% and 9.3% the last two years. So again, like pretty similar to a, a winning formula, but then after the game, Kyle Shanahan, I wouldn't say he gave Garoppolo the greatest endorsement ever for his starting quarterback. And we're wondering whether Lance may take over sooner than later. I think he's going to play this week. Um, he was out with a bit of a knee sprain, I think, last week. So he can at least kind of come in for a Taysom Hill role. But what are your thoughts on Lance? Do you think that he's going to start soon? The 49ers are kind of a little bit desperate, but Lance has, again, looked a little shaky. What do you think? I think when he starts, he's still probably going to look not particularly great. He is going to run the ball a lot, and you're you're going to get some value from him in that sense, which which is probably going to make him fantasy relevant. But like, 
I just don't think he he just doesn't it's a hard offense to insert into, especially when you're not like the guy from day one. It's really hard to get into when you're not taking all the starter reps. So I think he's probably just not going to look very consistent as a passer, um, especially for I don't know. Let's say he starts in two weeks. I think especially for that first month, first month of him starting. Yeah, it's not going to look great. Maybe by the very end of the season, he looks kind of functional and can can give you something. But I think it's just going to be so inconsistent until then that it's going to be kind of hard to get excited about in terms of fantasy. Um, in terms of like, should he? I, I hope he starts soon, man. I'm tired of seeing Jimmy Garoppolo. Like I know this last game was in a, a in a a cyclone basically but like i just a bomb joey sucks says we need to say bomb cyclone give ourselves the chance to say (laughs) a bomb cyclone i mean i just even before that i don't like his dvoa was fine but i don't think he was playing very well um at all i think he's he's looked as inaccurate as he he ever has which has generally not been his problem usually Mm -hmm. he can throw the ball well it's just a matter of like is he throwing it to the right spot yeah the the road Um, mistakes two or three times a game yeah, exactly. And he's still doing those. And now he's not as accurate. That's the problem when your whole thing was supposed to be, you know, that you're accurate. Yeah. So I think Jimmy's not very good. I hope they start Lance, but I wouldn't be too excited about him being um, particularly great, especially his first few starts. Is there, a, is there a player we can nickname Bomb Cyclone? Like, I just have visions of like a Tasmanian devil type of situation. And I feel like there's got to be a ball carrier where that would be a sweet nickname for him. Maybe Elijah oh. Mitchell. He played pretty well, right? Who? They, Think about Elijah Mitchell, but think think about this. This can be a long-term discussion. What we need to hit on now is go through the other rookie quarterbacks. I'm not sure any of these guys is a particular value from a fantasy perspective at this point. Like maybe Trevor Lawrence is the closest and you can hit on that. Uh, but let's let's go in reverse order because I feel like Mac Jones was drafted the last of these five guys, but so far as I would say had the most success from like a completion percentage perspective from a potential chance to win games, even though Bill Belichick decides to kick balls and rainstorms perspective, however you want to shake it up. Have you been impressed by what you've seen from Matt Jen so far? Yeah, I think he looks good. I think there has been some overreaction in the sense of like, oh, Mac Jones looks the best already. Some team, you know, X team should have taken him. But it's like we knew that Mac Jones could do this year one compared to his peers. We knew he was arguably the smartest quarterback in the class coming out. We knew he was incredibly accurate and that he could handle the pocket pretty well. Like we knew he could do a lot of these high floor things. And I think he's delivering on it uh, very, very well. Um, And I think he's landed in a spot that has, has really allowed him to do that. I think the Patriots offensive line is looking a little bit better now that they've had to shuffle guys around a little bit. I think they found more of a groove. I think the running game is really getting into things. And I think Jones himself is getting a little bit more comfortable. I still would like to see him push the ball down the field a little bit more, especially like between the numbers like I still don't think he can throw a post route I don't know if he can throw a seam route um he just hasn't really done it yet um (laughs) but I think we've we've seen a little bit more of like those you know um 12 to 15 yard over routes or or dig routes that he's kind of hitting he's getting a little bit more comfortable doing that stuff and I think just the fact that that we've seen him kind of make that development um in six weeks of play or whatever I think is pretty uh pretty impressive and, and kind of bodes well for him making some development you know not even just over the course of the season, but over, you know, the next couple of years or whatever. For me, it's like, he's always been so associated with Tom Brady because of obvious reasons. Right. right. And it's like difficult <laughs> to untangle that. I heard Trent Dilfer say that he's, he's Chad Pennington. And I was like, Oh, that like, mm-hmm. it, it kind of clicked for me. Like is Chad Pennington the right comp? And if so, does Chad Pennington have a lot more value in this era of the NFL with, you know, changing rules of defense and stuff. Like to me, Chad Pennington would probably be a pretty successful fantasy quarterback if he came around these days. And 
to me that like maybe maybe Mac Jones is is kind of that guy. I think so. Like I, I still have my concerns about like what does he look like when you know you need to win a game in January? Like does mm-hmm. does he can he do a lot of this off script off script stuff? Yeah. I'm still not entirely sold that he can do that. I'm not sure he can make the toughest throws on the field yet. Um, but I still think you know generally he looks good for a rookie. And I think to your point, the style of passer that he is now with all of these passing rules. Um, and in the situation that he's in, like, again, like, I think even though they don't have the most talented wide receiver core, I think they're doing a better job of scheming guys open, um, protecting him and that sort of thing. So, like, I think it's kind of a really good blend of scenarios for him to to produce really well, you know, in this season. For right. rookie, at least. I don't, I don't know if he's like a great fantasy yeah. quarterback. But. <laughs> I, th- I think clearly not for a team that's so run, run oriented. Yeah. But like from a dynasty perspective, mm-hmm. he's, he's definitely been the most successful on the field, except for maybe Lawrence. But. So that's worth keeping in mind. Let's hit on Justin Fields, a player that you thought was like a generational type of talent, just kind of a little bit in the shadow of Lawrence, who again is awesome. Fields has had the least success on the field so far in his career, but I think we suspect that a lot of this is bad circumstances. What are your thoughts? Have you have you seen things that concern you about his viability in the in the NFL? Not really. Um, I still think he's fantastic. Like it's it's a mix of horrible circumstances for one like the offensive line is really bad I think I mentioned earlier they're on like their fourth offensive tackle his name is Lacavius Williams I had never heard of him literally until <laughs> he was playing which is usually not a good sign <laughs> I haven't um, heard of him but I have an excuse because I'm a fantasy analyst okay well, there you go. <laughs> um, so so that I think was not very good for them and I think I saw next gen stats um had tweeted something along the lines of like the um the Bears have like the highest pressure probability rate, like relative to average, which has nothing to do with the quarterback. It's just like at a certain point of like, you know, 2.5 um, time in the pocket, like they are getting pressured at a higher rate than any other quarterback in the league. So he is obviously dealing with a lot of muck right now, which is going to look worse because just of his play style, which I don't think his play style is bad, but he's the guy who wants to hold on to the ball. He, he's the guy who wants to push you down the field um, as much as he can. And when he's the guy who's going to play into that high volatility a little bit, when you're a rookie playing behind a bad offensive line like that, it's going to look bad a lot of the time. Like, I, like honestly, Mac Jones right now would look better in Chicago because he just does some of the high floor stuff better. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're, you're not drafting a quarterback necessarily to be high floor. You're drafting him for what they can be in three years or whatever. And I still think... I still have a lot of confidence that Fields can get there eventually. This is just not a good situation for him right now. From a metric perspective, I saw an interesting stat. I, I wish I could credit, but I can't remember where. But like Fields has a massive disparity between his success on play action passes and traditional dropbacks, which is like, yeah, that kind of makes sense for a guy that's looking to hold the ball for an offensive mm-hmm. line that's like just porous and horrible that's getting him crushed. Like when he actually has the time to work with that and has the chance to stretch the ball down the field, it's really working. So mm-hmm. we're saying that the Bears just need to hire Arthur Smith and bam, problem solved for next <laughs> season. So fingers crossed we can make that happen. Uh, the next quarterback to discuss is Zach Wilson. Maybe don't need to spend a ton of time since he's going to miss the next two to four weeks with an injury. But, you know, Wilson has performed pretty badly. All of a sudden, all these jet stats are coming out about how like these 0-6 jets are or maybe one and six. Did they beat the Titans? They did beat the Titans. They, they did somehow. Oh like, God. just, I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, statistically, this is basically a carbon copy of last year's Jets at this point in the season. So like, mm-hmm. the, the barbs are coming out for Robert, Robert Sala. I guess he had a, a month and a half or so of uh, of uh, honeymoon period. But what are your thoughts on Wilson? Um, I don't, I actually don't really remember 
were you like super bullish on him before the year? I feel like maybe not. Do you think some of the issues you were seeing then, or are they being exposed at this point too in the NFL? Yeah, I was lower on Wilson than I think a lot of people. I, I want to be clear, like I still thought he was a first round quarterback and I think mm. he he's still talented enough that like things could work out eventually. Um, but he's just not looked very good. I think um, the biggest problem I think for him now is that when he was coming out of the draft, people thought he had this incredible arm. And I think his arm is good, but people thought he had like a close to Josh Allen arm. And that was just never, ever true. He had an arm that was good enough and could make all the throws, but he wasn't like a special arm talent. And I think we're kind of seeing that now where like some of these throws that he's trying to deliver into to windows over the middle of the field, like he throws late because he's a rookie and he's just never been good throwing over the middle of the field. But when he does that, he just doesn't quite have the juice to make up some of those windows sometimes. And I think we even see like some of his, like when he's throwing maybe to the far hash um, on a 12 yard out route, he kind of, skips some of those every now and then like he skipped a couple of screen passes like he's just i think his accuracy is just not quite there yet um which i think is really troubling for a guy who also doesn't really read the field particularly well and i think the the reading the field particularly well especially in true drop back like we knew that was going to happen but we at least thought he had like the talent and accuracy to kind of make up for it and he just really hasn't to this point which is pretty concerning granted i think the offensive line is bad and, and it has really made things tough for him and maybe he'll be good down the line but i think it's looked close to about as bad as it could be at this point so my read on this and tell me if you think i'm wrong is that there was a bit of a misinterpretation of arm talent here like not all mm -hmm. arm talent is created equal like i don't think wilson has like a cannon like mahomes does but he can throw off platform from different arm angles the way that Mahomes does. And so like mm -hmm. you draw the connection from the one side and then suddenly it becomes like a halo effect with the discussion points. And like, to me, that's not Wilson's strength. And like, to me, that's almost why I'm, I'm like, it may not be awful that he's been a little bit inaccurate so far, because again, it's not like he's back here making the, the, the footwork that you would expect to lead to these great completions and stuff. Like, like there can be a bit of a learning curve with it. I could see it getting better, but uh, obviously that's not going to really be the case this season. We'll have to see how that plays out. Trevor Lawrence hitting him last. He's coming off the bye, so I guess a little bit out of sight, out of mind. He's going to probably end up being one of the lowest quarterbacks from like a DVOA passing perspective this season. But from what I'm guessing, I, you're going to say, and from what I'm saying, I think that's going to be hugely deceptive. Like this is definitely the best quarterback of this bunch, right? Like for sure. Dude, he's incredible. Like, he's just amazing. Part, part of the problem with, like, his DVOA thing is um, he does have the, what I was kind of talking about with Fields, where just, like, his play style is conducive to volatility. And when you play in such a horrific offense, like, as a rookie, you're probably just going to hit on a lot more of those bad plays. Um, that's just kind of the way that it goes. But, like, his peaks are just, I mean, he's special, man. Like, he's the prince who was promised. Like, his pocket movement is unbelievable, especially for a guy who's his size. Um, he's just incredibly nimble. He has, like, this six. he has, like, a sixth sense for, like, beating pressure before it even arrives. Like, he knows exactly where every guy is coming from, how they want to attack protections, like, that sort of thing. I think he's really, really good at that. Um, he's generally gotten the ball out on time, especially, I think, over the past few weeks. Um, his accuracy has already gotten better, like, he had the one seam ball um, a couple weeks ago where he just like rails it in between three people. And it's just like, there's like six quarterbacks in the NFL who do that consistently. <laughs> and he already looks like he's one of them. Like, it's yeah. just incredible. The stuff that he does, man. Like it, it obviously is a little up and down now because he's throwing to freaking 
Lavishka Chenault and, and Jamal Agnew, who are like both Martin Jones, play. the most underrated receiver in the history of the NFL. Even he can't separate this year. Like it's just well, like he's, a, he's an old man. What do you want? From yeah, he, he's an old man. We'll, we'll give him. We'll, I'll cut him some slack for that. Um, <laughs> like he's just playing in like this completely discombobulated offense and is making it more watchable and more explosive than it, it should even be coming close to. So I, I think he's just unbelievable. All right, Joey Sucks asked, does Zach Wilson compare to Jake Plummer? I remember four things about Jake Plummer. One, that people confused him with Jake DeLome because they were Jake the Snake <laughs> in, in people's minds. Two, Plummer always did like the rollout left. So like I, I almost really associate that more with the Baker Mayfield style. I know that he was like probably physically a little bit more stout than Mayfield. Uh, I remember that he got traded to the Bucks, but decided instead to retire than get on a plane, baller move, and then became one of the best handball players in the world. So I, I don't think Zach Wilson deserves to be compared to, to a legend like Jake Plummer, but feel free to disagree. I uh, I was nine years old when he played his last okay. snap, so I don't know <laughs> how much I can hope. We'll, we'll stop it at there. You'll make me feel old. Um, the handball right, thing is cool, though. I didn't know that. Oh, absolutely. There was a great feature about it. You can probably find that in the ESPN archives back in the day. All right, let's circle back to some of these questions that we've been getting. Again, thanks for watching us live on YouTube. You can ask us questions there live Monday through Friday. 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. And in fact, Aaron Schatz and Mike Tanier are going to do an Ask Me Anything show on Wednesday the way they always do. So get in the, the non-fantasy questions for them or fantasy. They'll, they'll happily answer those. I can feed them some answers too. Let's see what we got. Um, Bopsy asks, we can start three in a Tim Team PPR league. Jamar Chase, Deontay Johnson, A.J. Brown, and uh, Daryl Henderson. Chase, at this point, I think from a true talent perspective, I think I have him top five among wide receivers. You're starting him every week, no questions asked. I think Daryl Henderson's a top five running back every week at this point, and maybe the most reliable from, from like a total workload perspective, the high floor type of angle. So I like him too. As much as I love Deontay Johnson and as much as I could see him having a really great like target volume with Juju Smith-Schuster out, I think the answer is A.J. Brown. Weirdly, I trust the Titans offense more than I trust the Steelers offense, um, although health could be a factor here. Brown kind of had a bit of a breakout this last week. Do you think that he's kind of back to full health at this point? Do you have any thoughts there? I think so. Like, I think that was really the the whole issue with the Titans offense the first month or so of the seasons. Like, they just didn't have guys healthy. They were playing with, like, their, like, fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, wide receiver and stuff like that. And I think that's why the offense looked kind of discombobulated. Now that they have guys healthy again, um, you know, A.J. Brown in particular, I think they're getting back to all the things that they really want to be and do as an offense where they're this, like, you know, run-heavy um, power pass, like, all that sort of thing. And I think, <clears throat> to your point, oh, my God. We're, Sorry. we're, ch we're uh, chucking him up with this, this <laughs> valuable question here. Yeah, um, I, I think A.J. Brown looks really good, and I think if the offense is going to continue clicking the way that it, it has been, um, or, you know, has been when they're healthy, I think he's going to be better than Johnson, I think, to your point. Um, not that Johnson's a bad player, just, yeah, I, I don't really trust the Steelers' offense, and I don't know if Johnson is the guy that's really going to take what Juju's um, targets were. I just, it just does, That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Today, clearly a big comp day for me. I heard Robert Mays say that Kyle Pitts was A.J. Brown, and I was like, actually, that's kind of intriguing. Like, why is that guy labeled a tight end? I don't know. But from a fantasy perspective, you got to love that. Um, next up, we have uh, Barn Bow. He's four and three. He, she's thinking about trying to buy low on Tyler Lockett, given that he's been you know, like not doing a ton with Geno Smith at quarterback, but Russell Wilson could return maybe in week 10 or so. What do you think about that? I mean, I would say I think I had Lockett as a pretty consistent top 15 true talent wide receiver. Um, at with with, uh, with Wilson at quarterback. And I think that Lockett, 
makes sense that he was the the player on the team that was going to suffer the most with Smith at quarterback because like as more of a field stretcher, Wilson has always been one of the, the most accurate deep ball passers in the league. Uh, do you, do you feel the same Derek or do you have a different thought there? I think that's a hundred percent spot on. Like it's not even just that, that Wilson is a great deep passer because Metcalf like benefits from that as well. But like those two just have a special connection. Like I, I don't even know how else to explain it. Like they just, they just, I don't know. They just play really well together. And so I think, yeah, once Wilson comes back, um, could be rough the first couple of weeks he's back depending on on how healthy he actually is but i think down the stretch of the season for sure when like seattle is trying their hearts out to save their season and and, and stuff like that i think it's entirely possible that lockett could could really really give value at the end of the year armin celtics asked would you trade aaron jones for justin jefferson his other running backs include austin eckler tony pollard damian harris and elijah mitchell uh, i would say the two are comparably valuable in my mind it's like aaron jones absolutely a top 10 running back. Don't worry about the lack of performance last week. He's going to offset that with a couple of two and three touchdown games. Jefferson, no brainer in my mind, top 10 wide receiver. He's really separated himself a little bit more, I would say from a, from a target perspective this, this season. So -hmm. I feel very good about him. I would say given the fact that you've got some, some pretty good depth at at running back, absolutely make the trade. Elijah Mitchell, I think he's going to be a running back too the rest of the season. I know you've loved what you've seen from him, Derek. So Mm -hmm. seems like a good move, right? Yeah, I think there's enough good running backs here that you can pretty much always pick and choose. Uh, uh, at least two of them are, I think, are going to have a pretty good matchup on any given week, and I think all of them are fairly talented. So I think if your receiver room needs a little bit of help here, this probably makes sense, yeah. Joey Sucks suggests that Jam- Jamar Chase should be the bomb cyclone. It's all about the spin move. <laughs> I like it. That, that also makes me wonder, though, like maybe a defensive end should be the bomb cyclone. Like, is there is there a guy of this era that has like a specialty spin move like Brian Burns? Okay. Nobody has a spin move like Brian Burns. I don't even think it's close. It's crazy. Like he's <laughs> he's so good at it. It's well, that, unbelievable. That's perfect because then because then the, the bomb cyclone can be heavily in my life as a Panthers fan at least until exactly. I retire from being a Panthers fan <laughs> when they trade for for Deshaun next week. But uh, right. All right. Um, I think that probably hits on all of the questions. Um, so we'll, we'll call it wrap it at the show there. Derek, thanks so much for going through this, for offering your thoughts on the rookie quarterbacks, plus hitting on all the waiver wire stuff. Pretty full week for you. You have all this other great content out there on the web. Can you tell all of our listeners and watchers where they can catch all of your work? Yeah, um, you guys can check some of my betting stuff over at Odds Checker. Um, I also I do the front seven scouting for uh, Bleacher Report. We just dropped our big board today. Um, I think we had our first like seven or eight players were all trench players. Like four of them were, were my guys. I think it was like Kayvon Thibodeau, George Karloftis, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, Jordan Davis, something like that. So um, go check that out. And then obviously later this week, I'll have the film room. No idea what I'm going to do yet. So <laughs> uh, be excited for that surprise. I guess. Every time you say you have no idea what you're going to do, and then somehow you land on like the most interesting topic in the, in the league. <laughs> so um, I'm looking forward to seeing that again this week. Uh, Again, everybody, reminder that tomorrow is an Ask Me Anything thing. So uh, send in your questions to Aaron Schatz and Mike Tanier for them to hit. Talking real-world football. If you're interested for more fantasy, circle back on Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time when I'll do a fantasy preview of the Week 8 games. Look forward to talking to you then. And I hope to, again, see you every day, Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, live on YouTube, among other platforms. Thanks so much for watching and for listening. Talk to you later. 